All right. Welcome to the Healthy Hustling Podcast. Today, we have on Dr. Eddie O'Connor. He is a professional speaker and both a clinical and sports psychologist. He specializes in removing barriers to allow for peak performance. He's a fellow and certified mental performance consultant through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology and member of the United States Olympic Committee Sports Psychology Registry. Dr. Eddie O'Connor has worked with youth, high school, collegiate, national, and international junior Olympic and professional athletes and coaches, as well as performing artists and musicians. He's frequently sought after by the media, and he's regularly appeared on Fox News and Grand Rapids. He's a featured guest on SiriusXM's Dr. Radio, and he's been quoted on ESPN.com, NBA.com, the LA Times, Runner's World, NYMag.com, and CNN.com. He's also an author and the host of the Psychology Performance, How to Be Your Best in Life by the Great Courses, quoted in the New York Times as being the Netflix of learning who recruited the world's greatest professors that are truly special. So thanks so much for coming on, Eddie. Uh, Doctor, do you want me to call you Eddie? Do you want me to call you Dr. Eddie O'Connor? What, what would you like to address? To address <laughs> I, I guess my brand time? name is Dr. Eddie, so you can go with that maybe. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure thing. So um, yeah, Dr. Eddie, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think this is going to be really good uh, podcast and interview that we have outlined here for people. Yeah, Eric, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, anytime we can kind of get this information out there, I always like to think that I went to school a long time and, uh, but it's not rocket science. I mean, these are things that, you know, I'm hoping, you know, middle school, high school athletes and people can get that it not only help their athletic performance, but as we'll see in the next you know minutes here, that these are skills about how to interact with your thoughts and feelings so that you can behave better, whether it's in your job, in your marriage, in your parenting, um, you name it, these things are going to apply. So I'm looking forward to sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I agree. I think with, when it comes to psychology, it can really transcend into other aspects of our life. And really that's what like, for me, athletics taught me from a young age was, you know, things like discipline and, um, a lot of just life lessons were learned through athletics that I've taken with me into, school and into the professional world and everything like that. So what kind of, uh, so I guess, first off, how did you get into psychology and sports psychology? Well, I was one of those few people that always knew what he wanted to do, at least in general. Like I, I just found myself loving talking to people when I was in elementary school, even the, the kid that was kind of the bully of the class, like when he had a problem, he'd come talk to me and it just was a natural fit. Um, I was reading Freud analysis of dreams in like sixth grade. Cause I thought it was interesting. So kind of really geeky. So I went to college, knew I wanted psychology, but the real thing was, um, I wanted to do clinical psychology cause I heard like it was the hardest, like, okay, if you can really be well-trained with that. So I went there, but then within that, the last class I took in college was sports psychology. And I ran track in high school, a little bit in college, had an injury, got out of that sport, but was always fascinated and loved, you know, the potential of human performance. And I had my own issues when I was running and, and things of that nature. So to find out that there was actually a science that taught people how to interact with their thoughts and feelings differently to maximize their performance, was I knew immediately that's what I wanted to do. So when I went to graduate school, I continued to um, get my degree in clinical psychology because I understand that athletes and high performers are human beings too. So I didn't want to just limit myself to, okay, here's the goal setting and the confidence building, what happens when they struggle. Um, life interferes with sport and sport can influence life. So I knew it would back and forth. 
So then I studied um, all the things that athletes would suffer from the most. So I did a lot with pain and injury rehabilitation. I do a ton now with performance anxiety, um, a lot of, um, you know, relationships and, uh, you know, the normal stress and depression and anxiety as well, but perfectionism and, uh, you know, being able to help people perform their best under pressure, especially when their mind gets in the way has been sort of my bread and butter for the, for the last few years. And it's been just outstanding. Cause as you had said, I love that you said, you know, psychology is the potential to help us, you know, in other things. I'm like, of course it does. We are constantly swimming in our thoughts and feelings. So how we don't have it in first grade as like, you know, English, math, psychology, and <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand because we are constantly interacting and being directed in our life by what we think and feel. And so, yeah, again, super excited to bring this out because this is stuff that we should have gotten when we were 10. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, <laughs> this could be a whole different topic, but the, uh, just the mental health and that aspect, like we, we don't hit on that enough, uh, just in the world we live in. And it's, it's good that sports psychology, it's, it's growing. I still don't think it's, yeah. it, it hasn't peaked. That's for sure. But it's, people are finally knowing that, Hey, this is a thing that if you're an athlete and you're, you're struggling with anxiety, depression, um, you know, we're going to talk about, you, you practice better than you play in a competition, all of these things that you're able to help them with. So what kind of people or athletes though, do you like to work with the most, would you say? Well, certainly the ones that, that want to work, I, I guess I would say that, you know, sometimes psychology can be where people will want some quick tips or they think there's a quick fix and it really isn't a band aid thing. Now this doesn't mean that you have to go through, you know, 10 years of psychotherapy or psychoanalysis uh, every week. Um, but rather, if you treat your mental game like your physical game and you understand that if you're going to play football, baseball, run track, whatever, that if you're going to go in, you have to develop skills and you start off as a novice and you practice those skills daily and you get better. Well, it's the same thing with how we navigate our emotions. How do I respond under stress? How do I you know, uh, manage and um, improve my thinking so that my focus is at its peak along with the physical skills that I'm developing? So, the athletes that I like to work with the most and, and the non-athletes too, because I've, again, I've got musicians, performing artists. Um, they're the ones that really have a hunger to get better and they can be in a slump and struggling or they can be fine and, and want excellence. Cause there's this other thing too, about we talk about mental health and, and mental health is more than the lack of mental illness. You know, there was really a whole wellness about it. So um, even the athletes or the performers, the high performers that come in are just like, like I just want more and I'm not reaching my potential. I'm like, good, yeah, like you and like everybody else, because we don't get, there are very, very specific things to do. If you want to be in the top 5%, you can't do what 95% of the other people are doing. So if you're just going to practice like everybody else and doing your workouts like everybody else, you'll be like everybody else. And you know, as an athlete or high performer, the other, uh, that, that's, that's probably better than the general population average. But if you really want to excel in where you're at, mental training, just like nutrition and getting great sleep and you know, physical conditioning, mobility, like you have to work on all of these details. And as you had said, the world is kind of realizing that this just can't be something for, for people who, uh, you know, oh, I've got a problem now, I have to go get it fixed. There's a mental health that you want to work on every day. Yeah, no, I, th and I think you, uh, you made a really good point there about mental health being more than just uh, having, addressing a mental illness, right? And it's, it can be, more of a wellness really, or like, I, I don't know if I want to even necessarily call it a maintenance because maintenance is maintaining. But if you want to just get better and like you said, excel, 
it's something that you got to work on. You can't just same with your physical health. You can't go to the gym one time and expect like you're going to be that much stronger in order to get true strength gains. You got to go to the gym for like six weeks. You got to lift heavy. You've got to get a little bit. Um, you've got to be willing to get uncomfortable and work and put in that work in order to get better, in order to get stronger and reach your goals, whatever those goals may be, whether it's speed and endurance or strength, mobility, um, whatever it might be. Now I want to add too, as I say that those are the, I love to work with the motivated ones. I have to say that there's a chunk of my athletes that come to me because they're not motivated. So I don't want to, you know, scare them away and be like, okay, it's not for me. I mean, that's actually what I do. The idea is that there's, if you don't have the motivation, like you really want this thing, but you don't know how to get it going. A lot of the times it is, um, you know, do you understand what the values are for? You would put up a great thing. Like, you know, this, this feeling of discomfort, we're humanly built to avoid pain. And so, you know, if you're overweight and you want to get in shape, or if you want to take the next level and jump from junior JV to varsity or varsity to college, there's going to be a lot more work. And we know this, but one of the roles that I play with you is to kind of interact and kind of say, well, are you really willing to do it? And some of my best successes are helping people walk away from their sport or their goal with peace because they realize that they don't want it that much to pay that price and how that's okay. No matter how many years you've played basketball, you know, you get to recommit every year and then you can recommit to something else to have a fuller life. Maybe it's a different sport. I was working with one athlete. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, played eight years of soccer, but now wants to switch to basketball, but had guilt about, well, you know, what are my parents going to think? The coach is really dependent on me. I'm really good. And I'm like, well, what, you know, how do you, switch and move that it's almost like well i've been doing this since i was three so this is my life (laughs) and that's really unfair so i help people unhook from that too and really that's where your best motivation comes from when you start to realize that you're doing it because you want to and then you start to feel the things you need to feel in order to get what you want that willingness is a big big part of what i do yeah and just curious i i would um kind of assume but like are you working with people other than athletes because as you're talking right now, you know, I I'm thinking of people who they might not even identify as an athlete, but they've got all of these type of issues that they'd like help with. I do. I would say that everybody I work with has, they're probably either a former athlete, they are an athlete, or they've got an athletic mindset from a performance standpoint. So if I think of my caseload offhand right now, I've got you know some high schoolers, some college, I've got some people who are competing nationally. Um, but I've got, uh, two people in, in uh, musicians. I got another one who's uh, in a band and uh, a music producer. I've got uh, an academic person in a high level um, graduate school training that wants better academics um, and uh, actress. So yeah. it goes all across. Um, and, then, and then I have a couple of people too who are um, older and they just wanna get back into shape um, oh, and a couple of business people too, who want to kind of take these and apply it to, you know, improving their business. Um, and they're the ones who are kind of using it. Actually, all I've got a success stories membership. I didn't have it on my bio list. It, it's relatively new, but this is where the community comes in, where everybody is an online uh, community that I have uh, for people to overcome these obstacles, but um, to do it through the modular training. And um, you know, in there, we've got people who are improving their parenting and their. Um, just getting back on an exercise program, losing weight. Um, so that's really fun because it's, yeah, absolutely like my course, it, it's taking this performance principles and applying them to life. It's just the context that's different. Let me put it that way. The, the process yeah. is the same. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll uh, definitely hit on that 
Um, you know, at the end here is how do people find or contact you that are having, um, that want your help. So what is you, you've got this, the psychology of performance, right? Do you want to explain what, and you, I think you kind of have already hit on that, but what is the psychology of performance? Is it just getting <laughs> excellence or do we, did we essentially just cover all that? Yeah, that was a good point. Can I, can I summarize that into a meaningful, non-confusing uh, lecture? Yeah. So the psychology of performance is ultimately how do you interact with your thought? This is my definition. I think there's a different one officially, but, but the way I approach it, how do you interact differently with your thoughts and feelings to maximize your behavior? We tend to think that positive thinking and feeling confident is needed so that I can play well or do whatever. And, and granted, it's easier, right? If I'm thinking positive and feeling confident, I'm a better dad, I'm a better, you know, I can run longer, I can lift heavier weights because everything is, seems to be aligned. But the psychology of performance ultimately is, you know, how do you find out the best thinking and feeling? And if you can't achieve that, how do you develop the willingness to do that so that ultimately your performance, you know, can be maximized? Now you get to define your performance. So again, it doesn't have to be world-class. Um, many of it can be, but I like to think of it more so as your personal best based on your values. Um, so again, some people can be intimidated by the psychology performance. Oh, I'm not an athlete. I don't need that. I'm like, oh, yes, you do. Everybody's performing. You go to work, you're performing. And if you don't think you're performing, that's another problem that we need to talk about because somebody's depending on you. You know, if you're married, you're performing. If you're a parent, you're performing. You know, even if you're, yeah. you, you want to write a book, performance. Performance is what we do. And I, I ask your audience to consider it. How many times do your thoughts and feelings get in the way? Constantly. I I would argue with most people, like at least 90% of the time. Yeah. Well, what else gets in our way? I mean, right. sometimes it's other people's behaviors or things like that, but actually, isn't it our reactions to their behaviors? Yeah. It's a hundred percent our reactions, their behaviors. It's a hundred percent. Like this is at least my take on kind of, you know, uh, of life and everything like that. It's I'm going to control. Uh, I try to control what I can control and just let anything that I can control and someone else's reaction and, you know, to me, it does no good worrying about those things and having anxiety about it. And is some sense of anxiety and stuff somewhat normal? You know, I think that you'd know better about this than I would, but it's, it's on a, a scale, I would say like a spectrum here, it's, you know, more dangerous and harmful. And here it's like, this is normal. This is okay. You have a big test coming up. You're nervous for it. That's normal, right. you know? So, um, or, or well, let me jump in there, Eric. Yeah, because this is, this is a great point. And this, I think, of everything we talk about today, maybe it would help the most people. I'm 100% in agreement with you. When people are feeling anxiety, however, and they're told that it's normal, it doesn't make them feel better. And they want to feel better. And that's where what you're saying is that the point of under, understanding the normalcy, for example, if I have an athlete that wants to go to the CrossFit Games and they're nervous, am I really supposed to make them feel like they're not, not being nervous? It doesn't make any sense. Right? You're going there. Somebody's going to lose. It could be you. You have everything to be nervous about. So when you can be willing, I love that word, willing to feel that nervousness, even if it is intense, and understand that it's actually there for a very good reason. You know, anxiety, we talk about anxiety and anger and depression and sadness. Well, those are three of four basic human emotions. We can be happy, sad, mad, or scared. And that's it. All of our complicated emotions come out of some derivative of those four. So if you don't want to be sad, mad, or scared, because it's always pathological, you're only trying to live in 25% of what it means to be human. Good luck with those, that option. So what is the value of, of anxiety, for example, is like, well, it warns us of danger. Now, it doesn't always mean that it's true. 
It doesn't always mean that it's going to happen. High level athlete, kids work a lot with, they have high grades. I have more people who've got like over a 4.0 coming in for anxiety because they're afraid of making a mistake and doing, I'm like, well, don't you have like the least chance in your class to make a mistake compared to everybody else? Like you've got a four or five for goodness sake, but it's because we care about it. And so our mind will activate and say, oh, these are all the things that could go wrong. And so the magic in what I do and where your audience here can get the best benefit, just as you had said it, if you can understand that this is a normal defense mechanism, but it is not predicting it. And if you can take a step back from it and learn to decide, I'll believe that or I won't, or I'll choose my reaction to it. Okay, I'm nervous about going to the CrossFit Games. So what should I do? Well, go to sleep, train, and prepare. Good answer. Let's do that. Bring the anxiety along because now it can activate me. But if you're so nervous about taking a test tomorrow and you're just worrying about it and you're ruminating and you're staying up late and you're not getting your sleep and you can't concentrate, well, then that's an anxiety that you want to interact with differently. I don't want to get rid of it. I'm not going to tell you, you you won't fail or you're not going to make a mistake, even if you do have a 4.5. But what I will say is this helpful or hurtful. And if you're interacting with your anxiety or thoughts in a hurtful way, what would be more helpful? So it totally moves us out of the pathology and talking about anxiety is bad yeah. and saying, look, I've never worked with an athlete that shouldn't have been anxious as they were. I've never seen a person that there's, you know, there's, there's really good reasons why we're freaking out about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Not let's, let's not, not let's be less anxious about it and say, well, what do we want to do knowing what we know? Yeah, no, I, you hit on, uh, I think a lot of really good points that <laughs> trying to like, uh, I love that you hit on if you're trying to live in just pure happiness, right? That's just 25% of human emotion. And to me, I think like you find the greatest happiness when you overcome those obstacles, you overcome fear, anger, sadness, and, and then you find happiness and not just being, and, and that's just me. I mean, everyone's got their own different journey and uh, everything like that. But what do you find is the biggest key to, and you kind of have hit on this, but what do you find is the biggest key to overcoming obstacles in the athletes? Yeah. I mean, you could probably guess that what I'm saying is absolutely willingness. You know, there, there's so many people who come in with the mindset of having to fix things. Uh, one of the best examples of it is that I'd like to do X, but it's hard. I mean, I hear that literally every day. And I'm like, here's another quick fix for your audience. Take that but and change it to an and. What would happen if, oh, I'd like to go to the games and it's hard? Well, now all of a sudden it sounds doable. If I, I want to go to the games, but it's hard, it sounds like I have to choose one or the other. Either the, I to, you can go to the games and have to find an easy way to get there or it's hard and I can't do it. That's what ultimately what they're implying is like, I don't like this, so I won't go to the games. And that's dichotomy of, of either or is, is killing us. So you swap in and, and you say, well, I want to I wanna lose weight and it's hard. You're creating room and space for all the discomfort of your hunger, of getting up and exercising when you don't want to. And it doesn't make it, it, it that's not a backwards way to fix it. It's not a backwards way for you to feel better. Like this is the thing about acceptance. Right. Well, I'll accept it if it, if it works. Well, no, that's not real acceptance. Acceptance is actually accepting <laughs> the suckiness of it and actually dealing with it. And, that's, and that's, that is hard and it is difficult and you don't have to accept it. But the reality is, I, I love this metaphor I use. You can go in, you can really want a TV, you can go into Best Buy and take out this big screen TV and it's $4,000 and you bring it up there and they're like $4,000 and, and you, you take out a $100 bill and you say, well, I'm willing to pay a hundred. And they're like, well, take it back because there is no way 
that you know you're gonna buy this. But I really, really want it. You don't understand. But but you're only willing to give a hundred dollars. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Here's five hundred dollars. But that's my five. Like I am giving you so much more than I wanted to. And they're like, you're not gonna get this TV. If you want to spend five hundred dollars, we got a nice, you know, <laughs> black and white <laughs> TV over there that that you can buy. Like, you would never have this argument at Best Buy. You understand that if you want the bigger stuff, it's more expensive. You either pay it or you don't. And nobody's upset about it. And you get to choose. Some people are buying $200 TVs. Some people are buying $10,000 TVs. Well, why do we do that in life? We want everything to be easier. And I do too. I'm with you guys. Like I, I want it to be easier. I complain too when things are tough. And I'm like, God, please. I'm in prayers because everything has to be so hard. And it is hard. And so because it is hard, that's the reality. And because especially in competition, everybody's competing for the same thing. How, how is this supposed to be easier for us? So of course it's gonna to go to the person who's willing to sacrifice more. That's what, how competition works. And that's actually why we love it. Yeah. The very thing that some of my athletes hate about losing and making mistakes, I'm like, well, if you were able to perform perfectly and win every time, how much would you love your sport? And every one of them, after being like, that'd be awesome. I'm like, no, really think about it. They're like, well, actually I'd probably get pretty bored and it would suck. Like, yeah, the thing that we're most afraid of, the failure, the mistakes, the pressure, what's hard, is the very thing that we love. Because of what you had said, Eric, it's like, that's what makes it worth it. So the short answer to your question, how do we develop this willingness to really experience the difficulty of the process? You don't have to love it, but understand it as part of the process and fully engage what you're doing as you're feeling bad. I really don't think it's about positive thinking and confidence. Now, if you have that, great, we can use it. But when it's not there, I'm here to help you keep going uh, with commitment. Yeah, no, and I, I love that you use the and because I feel like that could be used in every aspect of life from, you know, business and, you know, starting my own business. You can come up with a million excuses to not start your own business. Well, I would do this, but I'm getting a salary and benefits over here and it might not happen. Or you could say, you know, I'm going to start my own business and it's going to be hard and I'm willing to go through the struggle to live a life that I can't over here. Uh, same thing with, you know, with sports or even like losing weight. I'm willing or <laughs> I want to lose 20 pounds, but waking up and going to the gym is difficult, you know? Yeah. This is the stuff that drives me and that nuts about the goal setting. We talk so much about your dream big and have these great dreams. Well, research shows actually, if you dream too big and think too positively, it actually undermines your motivation because you're getting the chemical burst of when you're imagining yourself successful, you're kind of imagery is really powerful. And when you imagine this stuff, it's like, it's really happening. You get a chemical reaction that kind of satiates you a little bit. So too much of this positive thinking and, 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 imagining your goals can undermine your motivation. But I mean, we all know people that have dreamed big and done nothing about it. Like we have to stop changing the, the story here about, well, it's all about your goals and your goal setting and set big goals. Like it's about your willingness to do the tough things. You know, if you want to get your own business, you're right. You know, it's like, but I have a salary and this and that. Well, those are really good questions. Like we would sit down and we would say, yeah, let's talk about that. How do you feel about giving up the security? Because if you value security over entrepreneurship, then maybe it, the right answer for you is to find more value in your salary job, be appreciative of it, and let the entrepreneur one go while you have gratitude and you can provide for your family in a regular way. 
Like there's nothing wrong with that. There's no right or wrong answer here. Not everybody has to be rich or do this. But if you're like, no, I really can't stand my day job. I really want my own business. Well, then we have to have that conversation of, okay, well then how do you, um, how do you manage that risk? You mm -hmm. know, um, if you do have a year where it's down, you know, are you safe? Can, can you provide for your family? Are you willing to have three bad years if that, if that's what it takes, you know, what are you willing, what are you willing to do in service of, it's another big phrase in service of your goal. Yeah. So all your pain has to have meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, goals, like you said, goals are important. Goals are a part of, you know, identifying that finish line, but then you have to have a plan to get to that finish line. You got to take yes. those steps. So, uh, how do you, or how do the struggles you see affect everyday people? We, we kind of just hit on that a little bit, but, um, would you say, is it, I guess, do you have anything to add on top of that? We kind of just hit on that. <laughs> well, we did, but I'll, I'll rephrase it. And I'm glad that it's repetitive because we don't learn anything once, but you know, again, athletes are people too. High performers are people too. And as I had said earlier, you know, whatever you want to do, you're performing. So if, if you haven't exercised in 30 years and you want to start a walking program and you want to be able to walk your first 5k, you know, it's the same process that I would use with my professional athletes. Now the context will be different. The workouts will be different, but that whole idea of identifying what it is that I want, why do I want it? Why is it important to me? What are the obstacles that are going to get in the way? Am I willing to go through that and come up with a plan more so for the obstacles, the lack of motivation, the, I don't like to sweat, the fatigue, the negative thinking that's going to show up. Um, the, the long haul of how do I keep it up for a year or two years or, you know, six months, whatever it is. And, in, and your willingness to dive into that process. As I said, in, in my work with athletes and non-athletes, um, non-athletes actually almost enjoy it as much, if not more, because they they feel like they're being treated as an athlete. And they realize that this stuff, they can look on TV and see what this type of thinking and training does. So the excitement to be able to apply it to your business, to your family, to your health, um, Again, performance is performance. There are differences and I tweak it for each sport in the same way that I tweak it for each domain, um, but certainly applicable. Yeah. So speaking of uh, just athletes and non-athletes, um, most people are going to have an injury at some point in their life. And that's, I deal with, I deal with mostly the physical. I say mostly because there's definitely a psychological impact with every injury um, and whether that's big or small, whether you big view it as big or small might be different than how they view it. Uh, what is the biggest psychological obstacles when overcoming injuries? Yeah, a couple come to mind. I guess the, the first thing that I always think of is, is understanding what pain is. Um, there's all sorts of different pains. And I think a lot of times people, when they're injured and they're coming back, they don't understand the difference between sort of rehabilitation pain um, and you could probably explain this even better, but the idea of that there, there's injury pain, right? There's something that signals that there's damage that's being, that's been done. Mm -hmm. um, an acute injury, it's sharp. If it's, you know, overuse injury, it's gradual, doesn't go away when your, uh, when your performance stops. But then there's also pain that you want to relate to though, that's positive. So you've got your, your fatigue that a normal athlete will go through. There's positive training pain where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. And that like, I remember like after a big heavy workout, you know, I'm sore and I can't, I have to wash my hair like this because I can't move my arms. <laughs> you know, that's pain, but it's not an injury. It's safe. It's just, 
you know, I interpret that the delayed onset of muscle soreness some DOMS. Yes. And so being able to understand the differences of those. So when you get injured and you're coming back on rehab, well, how do you understand that now your body's been, um, it's atrophied and you haven't used your, your leg or your, your shoulder in, in six months or a year. Um, and now you're getting these pains and, and sometimes there's a fear of re-injury or am I aggravating it? And so you'll, you'll shy away from the pain that you might have to educate or the doctors you know, more about, no, this is a safe pain. Yes, it should hurt this way. It, uh, you know, this is the difference between pain that signals injury and this is the benign pain. I remember working with a pro athlete coming back that every time it started to hurt, he backed off and it was holding up his rehabilitation because we had to let him know that, you know, it, it's, it's your, you have to have, this is, I guess, the first step I would say, you have to have safety in your body part. Like if you've gotten the medical clearance, A, do you trust the, the information that you've gotten? Because a lot of people will believe their body because if it still hurts or it hurts in a different way, you don't just get healed and then all of a sudden be there, right? You, you have to rehab and get back to normal. And then there's a second rehab if, as athletes have to go through, which is to go from normal back up to their athletic body ready for the high performance, physical performance that they're going to do. And those involve different pains. So I know I've been a little bit all over the place, but I guess the two big things I would say would be first safety in your injury, understanding that so that you can then test it so that you can understand the differences in your pain and what the safe pains are and what the benign pains are, because you will feel some pain as you go through it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's definitely something that I've got to educate with people is when is it okay to push? When is that pain? Okay. When yeah. is it not okay? Um, and when are you doing more damage potentially? Uh, yeah. And when's it okay to progress onto that next stage, get back to, to competing at a high level without any, you know, um, really risk that risk of re-injury is, is much lower. Right. Uh, one thing that I've talked with people about before and just curious, curious if you see this a lot, are you dealing with any kind of identity crisis? Does that make sense? As far as like, uh, I, I talked about this with, um, I interviewed my wife on the last episode and for example, you get the, uh, ACL injury, right? You get someone who blows out their ACL, they're a football player, soccer player, doesn't matter what it is. That can be career ending. And, and, and they've had their whole life wrapped up into, I am an athlete. This is what I do. I play football. I play soccer. I run. I, and now all of a sudden it's either that's being threatened or their career is done and they've got to figure out what to do. What's, what's next in life? Does yeah. life have anything else to offer? Do you, do you see that a lot? Oh yeah, certainly. And you know, it's an interesting twist because the higher you want to go, the more your life really is about your sport. You know, the more you're going to have that athletic identity. And so it's almost like you kind of want to figure out when do you match it up? Because, it, you know, you can't, you want to, you don't, of course, you're more than what you do. And, and that goes for whether you're a husband or a doctor or, an, you know, whatever it is, is that, that the people who ultimately do the best, both in performance as well as, you know, with injuries or risks like this, is if they understand they're more than what they do. So you can fully go in and be a professional and dedicate your life towards doing this. But if it starts to become who you are as opposed to what you do, there's trouble. I think the best example I remember of this is uh, Terrell Davis, a former running back for the Denver Broncos many years ago. Yep. Um, great athlete, got injured. 98 Super Bowl champion, right? Right. Yep. And so somebody had said after he had retired because of you know, the injuries, 
it was like, well, what are you going to do? You're a football player. And, and he said, no, 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 no. He goes, I play football. He goes, I've got lots of other things that I can do. And his transition after a, unfortunately too short career um, appeared to be at least to the public seamless because he knew all the time that this was just something that he did that he had character and values and other things. And he just went in and did other things. Now I'm not saying it was super easy, but there was balance there. He always understood that he could give a hundred percent and he did, he was outstanding. Um, but it never defined him. Now on the flip side with injury or not, a lot of the athletes that I have with anxiety is because they really do start to confuse that they've been, you know, playing a sport since they were a young age, they get a lot of accolades for it. Everybody knows them as the jock um, as they're playing well, they're getting a lot of attention and their identity or their value, their worth has now become dependent on their performance. So now they're up to bat. And if they strike out, they feel like they're letting their parents down, their coaches down. Um, they feel like they're not as good of a person. Um, they're embarrassed. They're afraid that other people won't think that they're a good athlete. And so now their performance has tons of anxiety because they're not just up there to hit the ball. Now they're up there to preserve their very identity and value. Um, I remember working with a, a basketball player once who's um, felt like parents wouldn't love him if, if he uh, didn't get a college scholarship because they had invested so much and really got that confused because that's all they talked about. And it was fun. It was a great family value, but he had gotten confused between what he was doing and his value as a son. And so one of the best interventions there was actually saying, okay, guys, don't talk about this at the dinner table anymore. Go out and have, you know, like family fun nights that have nothing to do with basketball. And it was awkward for the first month of them doing that because they were like, but this is what we do. But once they started to talk about other things like school and, <laughs> you know, relationships, it was amazing how the, the kid and the parents got together, got had a much better relationship, but almost immediately the pressure went down and the kids' basketball skills came back and, and started to hit his free throws and his three pointers. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's fascinating. That's uh, do you feel like with youth athletics, is the and this is just curious uh is one of the biggest problems pressure from parents how big of a role i guess does that play i would say that i'll have a slanted view so i'll i'll see that but i will say that sport parents as a group overall are fantastic and even the ones where there's pressure and a problem it always comes from a a loving passionate um, I want the best for my son. Mm -hmm. It's just really, I get the opportunity to kind of say, but that's not how it works. Like when you start to cross the the boundaries or if you don't have enough balance of, let me, here, I'll give you a quick quiz. What do you think is the ideal, the research has shown the, the ideal positive compliments to constructive criticisms ratio? Sorry, say that again. So if you're going to talk to somebody and like, if you're going to balance out and say how many positive versus negative, how many like positive compliments and reinforcing Com, you know, uh, comments compared to how much criticism and constructive criticism that you can give somebody. What do you think is the rate ratio that, that provides the best uh, performance? I, I'd say 50, 50. Right? We would be, we would be happy if, if people would do 50, 50, it's actually five to one, which I've never seen positive to negative or you even have to clarify it because yeah, what we're getting is five negative compliments and criticisms and Hey, you know, hustle more, dribble this, do that, do that, do that. And, and that's, even if we're saying it in a kind way, those are negative constructive criticisms. 
But the research has shown in marriages, in, in, in schools for students, in, in sports, five compliments. I say, catch your athletes, catch your kids being good. Hey, great hustle. Love the way that you, you communicated to your teammates. You know what, your form on that shot, you know, the way you got, be specific, you know, got down deep in your knees was, was great. You keep reinforcing five to one. That's when you get the best performance. So yeah, so when you start to your question about the parents, like nobody does that. I don't do that. Like I have to work at it really, really hard. And, but that's what the science shows. If we got even one-to-one, -one, I think we'd be better. But our sporting I, environments and parents are like, hey, we want to encourage and we want to push. And sometimes it is too much. Yeah, I, I guess I've always, um, you know, from what I've heard and read and things like that with, with leadership, I guess, is, you know, you come in with a positive, if you have constructive criticism or whatever, come in with a positive, give your constructive criticism, and then leave with a positive. Even there, you're still only a two to one. <laughs> so yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, with that, you have a, still have a long way to go. Um, three more. Well, it's something to strive for. for. You know, sure. again, I like that phrase. Remember it, you know, just catch them being good. And it's, you'll increase their motivation. You'll decrease their anxiety and going back to their athletic identity. It really then helps that you see them um, outside of their performance, you know, outside of the outcome, especially when you're focusing on reinforcing the process. It's another thing for coaches out there that are listening. You know, it's great to be like, great shot, you know, congratulations on winning the game. But then it makes the outcome so much more important where we need to be focusing our children and our athletes is in really paying attention and being involved in the process. Then the outcomes will take care of itself. You only can control the process, which is another reason why we want to have more focus on it. Awesome. Yeah, those are some really good points. Uh, and you've, you've made just excellent points overall. So if people have some questions for you or want to be able to contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they, the, by far the easiest and best way is my website. It's sort of the hub for everything. So it's simply drediocconnor.com. Okay. And, and we'll put um, that in the post here too so that they can see that. Great. Um, and I've got a special treat for everybody there too. So when you go on, they'll hopefully get a pop-up. But I've got a video on what to do when positive thinking doesn't work. And it's free. So if you put your name in, um, you can get immediate access to that. And I really encourage you to do that. It's just my, one of my favorite presentations on, again, how to interact with those difficult thoughts and feelings to release you. Um, and then it's got a link to the uh, Success Stories membership as well, um, which is just a great community. And I invite you to join us there um, where you can take your time and go at your own pace. Um, but if this is the type of stuff that interests you, we got a lot of great people in there. Um, working on the same goals to help you overcome those obstacles. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So check out dreddieoconnor.com if you want to be able to contact Dr. Eddie and ask him a question at all. I'll be sure to put that uh, in the post. Uh, this will be posted on YouTube, all the major podcast uh, stations, Spotify, Google, uh, Apple Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Um, so one last question is this being the Healthy Hustling Podcast, what does healthy hustling mean to you? Oh, okay. Um, Man, I'm a broken record. <laughs> when I think of hustling, I don't necessarily think about the, the, the craziness and the, and the fast and the going, which is typically what I think of hustling. Here, I think it's, it's a matter of slowing down to the points where you, you hit those speed bumps. And I really ask people to bring an intentionality and uh, your heart to it. I mean, I've, I've given, I don't know, like a dozen suggestions here. And this is great. But like, go back and listen to this podcast again and pick one. Pick one, one thing if it's switching my butts to and, and give yourself seven days and really work that. Like that's, that's the healthy hustle is 
we don't want a bunch of tips on the surface. Like pick one and go deep with it. That's where I think the real success comes in. And then you could take this podcast and listen to it over and over again for a year. And you probably, you know, just pick one of my tips a month. <laughs> this is kind of yeah. the idea in the Success Stories membership. You know, it's not about getting a whole lot of information. What's the one thing that I can drill deep in? So with healthy hustling, it, it's, yeah, there's a lot to do, but don't let yourself get overwhelmed. Pick the one thing that's going to make the biggest impact and dive deep and then repeat that for the rest of your life. And then you'll have this amazing outcome and you won't even know when it showed up, but all of a sudden, you know, it's going to be great. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you're the first person. I love what you said there, but the first person to say, you, you know, really reverse that and say the slow things down um, instead of speed things up. So I, I really like that perspective and that tip and insight. So thanks so much for uh, hopping on here, Dr. Eddie. Really yeah. appreciate it. I learned a lot. Um, I know a, a lot of the audience here is going to learn a lot. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to take some of the principles that I've learned today and uh, utilize them. So thanks so much. Okay. You have a uh, great day and we'll see you around here. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye.